privilege to gather as your people this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you invite us as your people to do this, to meet in your name, to lift your name on high, to glorify the King of Kings. Lord, we thank you for those throughout this land, Lord, throughout this world who will meet today, for those across cultures, across countries, across nations, across races, Lord, that will meet to celebrate ultimately that Jesus is alive. Lord, we bow before you, recognizing your utter magnificence, recognizing that we are so far from your beauty and glory, yet in your Son, the Lord Jesus, you call us, you adopt us, you justify us, and day by day, Lord, you sanctify us, and soon, Lord, we will be glorified with you. Lord, we exalt you this morning. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are majestic and awesome. And as we come now, Lord, to open your word, as we come to consider these words from Colossians chapter 1, Lord, would your word speak to us afresh, we pray. Amen. Next Sunday, uh, 6 o'clock, um, set up by our missions team, we're going to have an informal evening with Hazel. Uh, our missions partner who spoke last week, uh, gave our children's talk very well. Uh, so it'll be through in the back hall, tea, coffee, cake, everything else that's good. Uh, if you want a chance, if you know Hazel and want to catch up with her, uh, if you don't know her and would like to, uh, there'll be an opportunity, six o'clock, everybody's welcome, next Sunday evening, I'll send an email out this week, uh, you're more than welcome to come and to meet with her. We also have three Sundays left without a senior pastor. I don't know how many there's been, there's been a few more than three um, but we're delighted that Craig and Margaret will be coming to join us. If you're not aware, on uh, the 1st of September, they'll be starting with us. And I must confess, I find this no easier, um, picking one-off texts. I've never found this very easy, and I still don't find it very easy. I'm wondering where to go. Uh, I didn't really make my mind up, to be honest, until Wednesday, because it's hard to open the full counsel of God and go, where on earth do I start? And I start from a point of, Really haven't had a really difficult week. Having a week that's left me just emotionally and spiritually shattered and absolutely exhausted. And what that leads me to is I need to be reminded of how wonderful Jesus is. And that's all we're going to do this morning. In Colossians chapter 1, we're going to lift our eyes. We're going to look at what the scriptures will tell us about Jesus. And we're going to admire him. And there's an opportunity if we have taken our eyes off of him that we might refocus and again admire how glorious he is. A couple of weeks ago, we were up in Lossiemouth having a little break. My friend Rab is the pastor of the Baptist church, so we stayed in the manse with him. And if you know anything of the area, you walk a couple of minutes and you get to uh, the top of this hill that overlooks the beach. This is the picture. It's not my picture, um, but it's lovely. That's what you look out on. And I could stand there for quite a long time. Those benches dotted along that walk there, and you can see some, it's just glorious, it's glorious to look out over. And I wonder if you were to ask people that, that live there, that see this every day, and if you were to ask them, do you start to take this view for granted? Do you ever stop being 
amazed. Have you ever been somewhere to somebody's house and you've looked out the window and thought, what a view that is? And thought, that's just, I would never get bored of that, we tell ourselves, don't we? I'd never get bored of that. And if you ask most people, they'd say, no, I'd never get bored of that. But of course, we know the truth is, well, it just becomes normal. It just becomes routine. We just get used to it. And I think there's a lot of things that amaze us at first. But then they just become routine and then they get a little bit boring. You get a new job. It's amazing. It's wonderful. But it becomes routine. You move into a new house, a new flat, whatever, and, oh, this is everything. This is the dream home. And then you start to see all those little problems and then it becomes routine and then you check right move every so often. You get married. It's wonderful. It's awesome. And let's be honest, it becomes routine. You find the favorite food. Victoria went through a phase where all she wanted to eat was sushi. And my goodness, it got boring. Things that are amazing and exciting can become boring. And there's a name for this. There's an actual theory behind this, right? And it's called hedonic adaptation. Listen to this. We humans have a powerful propensity to adapt after continued and repeated exposure. Seeing the same thing doing the same thing, or being with the same person again and again lowers its impact on our emotional experience. Put it simply, we get used to things over time. This helps us when we're in pain. This helps us when we experience difficult things because the, the, the pain and the challenge and the struggle of the difficult becomes normal. It doesn't diminish the pain of what is faced, but it becomes easier because the things that are exceptionally hard, well, we just have to deal with them and we just have to get through them because now this is the new normal. But there's a downside to that, and that is the things that are utterly amazing can just become a bit meh. We lose so easily our amazement at what is truly amazing. And I think it's one of the, the, the greatest spiritual dangers that we possibly face is that we see Jesus, we know Jesus, we love Jesus, we're captivated by Jesus. Only for the beauty of Jesus to become a bit routine. Only for us to begin to fill the place that Jesus deserves and had in our lives with lesser things. And that's exactly what happened to the church in Colossae. It was Augustine who said, Jesus Christ is not valued at all unless he is valued above all. And that's what we're going to look at here. It's just Paul's message that says, simply Jesus first. And I hope that as we open these scriptures, it might be an encouragement and you might again gaze upon the beauty of the Lord Jesus. Colossians chapter 1 uh, from verse 15, the preeminence of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. 
and through him to reconcile all things, whether on earth or on heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, and not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Colossae, a small place, a small city, likely a diverse population. The good news is Jesus, the gospel, had reached the city and the church had started but this church had a problem, and the, the, the problem was we have a high view of Jesus, but we're tempted to hold on to other things. In other words, their view of this beautiful Lord Jesus was being obscured. They wanted other things, the Jewish legalism, ritualism, the mysticism, the other things to, to complement and to go with their faith. And we do that too. As a church, we're committed to a high view of Jesus, but we recognize that it's really, really easy to let other things crowd in and obscure our view of Him. And I think there's nothing more common for us as believers than to lose our view of Jesus and let other things take His place. We end up taking the most glorious and the most beautiful, and replacing him with things that are utterly worthless. In the first few verses before we read, Paul writes about the gospel bearing fruit and growing, the church bearing fruit and growing. It's wonderful. It's what we want to see, isn't it? We want to see a church bear fruit. We want to see a church grow, not merely in numbers, but faithful disciples of the Lord Jesus going and making more faithful disciples of the Lord Jesus. That's what we want to see. And following that, we're given just this stunning hymn, ultimately, of the beauty and the supremacy of Jesus. We're given the importance of the gospel, and our duty as his people to take that news to the world. All of this should be pretty easy to see as we read through this. We don't know exactly what Paul is responding to, exactly what the ins and outs of these issues are, but their eyes were being distracted from Jesus. If we truly believe that we exist to bring glory to the Son, if we truly believe that we are reconciled to Him, the very author and creator, then we must take this seriously. The last two verses before we come in here, 13, 14, they speak wonderfully of how God has delivered us from darkness. He has transferred us to the kingdom of his son, the Lord Jesus. And through Jesus, we have been rescued from sin and adopted. And then he comes. I've got a list. Let's put them on the screen. This is just in this passage where the word all is mentioned. You take nothing else from this. Just marvel at this. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. All things are created by him. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things. In him, all things hold together. 
He is first in everything. All the fullness of God dwells in him. He reconciled all things. And the gospel is proclaimed in all creation. That's what sits before us in these verses. And you read that and you think, how dare I ever take my eyes off of this man? How dare I? How dare I get distracted from this man, the Lord Jesus? This list breaks simply for us into three things. The first is the supremacy of Jesus in creation. Uh, verses 15 to 17 for he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible or, uh, and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created through him and for him and he is before all things and in him all things hold together God himself became man. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We believe that Jesus is God as Father is, as Spirit is. Jesus, of course, simply Emmanuel, God in the flesh, God with us. He is the visible representation of that in God which was invisible. Those famous words of John chapter 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. This doesn't indicate in any way that Jesus has some kind of origin. Some believed it. Some believed it here. Some believed it in other places. That Jesus didn't always exist. That somehow he was created by the Father. Do you know, I was engaged in a conversation a couple of weeks ago uh, with a Muslim man who said to me, um, oh, we're all just trying our best to be good and get to heaven, aren't we? And I thought, sometimes opportunities glaringly present themselves. Uh, and this was one of those opportunities. And we spoke for ages. We spoke for ages about our understandings of God and who we are and who God is and how we relate to one another and, and, and all these sorts of things. But, but, but simply... Simply, because the, the, the statement often is we worship the same God. We have the same God. And I said, no, we don't, because you deny Son and Spirit, therefore we do not worship the same God. Anybody who would seek to deny the divinity of the Lord Jesus or the Spirit does not believe in the same triune God of the Scriptures that we do. And we have here this firstborn Son, the principal heir, the one who would inherit all things from a father in an earthly sense, not uncommon in societies today. The firstborn son in many parts of the world would inherit what is to come from a father's estate. David would allude to it in Psalm 89. I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Jesus had this honor, not because he was the oldest or the best son that God had, but because he is the only begotten, beloved son of the Father. He goes on, verse 16, to write that all things are created by him, they're created through him, and they're created for him. It is utterly spectacular that the creator of all things might want to know you 
and want to know I. And it is a great point of praise for us that everything is created for him, through him, by him, through him, and for him. And we come, as you look to verse 18, the supremacy of Christ and the new creation. This is post-resurrection. This is Jesus has died, Jesus has risen, the gospel is now seen in all its fullness, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. The first bit we've just looked at is this declaration that Jesus is creator God. The second piece is the declaration that he is our savior. This is about Jesus' role and his relationship with a redeemed creation. Simply put for us, Jesus is the head of the church. He is the leader of the church. Everything the church does locally, globally, must be under submission to the lordship of Christ because the church is his. And more than just being the leader of the church, of course, it is Jesus that is the very reason that the church exists. We as the church only exist because the Lord Jesus died for her. This means that as the church belongs to him, we as God's people belong to him. And his headship over the church, this isn't a, I established it, therefore here's the keys you carry on. But this is a, a continual sustaining of that church. Jesus continues to this day to sustain his church. And by his spirit, we might call ourselves God's empowered, emboldened people. The wonderful creation created as a result of God himself is, of course, broken, infected by the disease that is sin. But not only is Jesus the agent of creation, he is also the agent of the new creation. As much as he created once, he then would go to redeem. Verse 18, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. The reference, of course, to the resurrection of Jesus, the beginning of the new creation, the new era prophesied in the Old Testament. He was the first to rise from the dead, and because of his resurrection, his new creation, those who believe in him and place their trust in him and the work of the cross will also rise from the grave. There is our good news. Paul writes that God reconciles all things to himself by making peace by the blood of the cross. It is by the fact that this God would become man that he might then go on to atone for my sins and for yours. The great Prince of Peace might come before us. Jesus will ultimately crush all rebellion 
in the face of a holy God. For us, that means reconciliation to God. It is wonderful news. It is good news for us. It is bad news for anybody out with the arms of the Lord Jesus. Without him, we live in rebellion to God. We have the wrath of God thrust upon us. But with Jesus, we have peace and we have reconciliation. And the basis, the only basis for that peace is the blood of the lamb that was slain, Jesus himself. Finally, we see the supremacy of the Lord Jesus in reconciliation. I love these words. We'll read these again at the communion table. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This message is simply a message to those people to reprioritize, to refocus, to put the creator and redeemer first. I think it's the message we need to hear today. It's the message I need to hear today. That we might put him first above all things. We once were alienated. We once were hostile in mind. We once did evil deeds. It's where everybody is without Jesus. Separated, alienated. It's what sin does. It breaks our relationship with God. Scriptures clearly declare for us that without the Lord Jesus, we are enemies of God. We have hostile thoughts, evil desires. We don't want what is good in the eyes of the Lord. We don't care about pleasing Him. We do things that hurt God, that hurt others. And these actions outflow from sinful hearts. But there is a stunning and there is a glorious hope, isn't there? That we are reconciled. That we are redeemed. That we are restored. That we once, through utter alienation, from God are now totally reconciled by his son and it's available to anybody if you have not responded to the call of the gospel today the offer my friends is there for you believe in the Lord Jesus repent of your sins and place your trust in Lord Jesus as the saviour of your life and our salvation has a purpose. It reconciles us and restores us, but it sends us to, sends us out. And it presents us before God, verse 22, in order to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach before him. And I, I find this, this is one of the most interesting conversations I have if I ever speak to anybody of other religions, because without utter grace, without the ultimate price paid, then nobody can ever meet a God that would claim to be holy and righteous. 
Surely, because sin would be so unacceptable in his sight if there is no redeemer in our place. How? Oh, if I just do a good, enough good things, if I just manage to balance those scales, if I can just do one more good than bad thing, I might just make it. Well, if you truly believe God is holy and perfect and blameless, even one wrong thing is too many for that God. But we, as the redeemed, stand before God, holy, blameless, and above reproach, because Jesus died in our place. God wants to present us, the church, holy, blameless, and above reproach. Jesus, God, the Son, the Father, don't want any kind of people, but they want a holy people set apart, reconciled and now working in us by his spirit to present us holy and blameless. And verse 23, and if you continue in the faith, don't be distracted, church. Don't let Jesus become a routine. What must we do where we come in faith and we believe that his work is sufficient and then tomorrow we remind ourselves and then Tuesday we remind ourselves and then Wednesday we remind ourselves. Daily, hourly, we remind ourselves of Jesus, of who he is. This is a safe people. This is the church that this is written to and it's clearly written to them to say, friends, you've got to focus. You've got to prioritize. You've got to see Jesus for who he is. We will never, we will never see too much of Jesus. We'll never see too much of Jesus. But we rest assured that as we are reconciled, nothing will separate us from the love of God and Christ, our Lord. So, after what has been a challenging week, as we come to these stunning words, whatever kind of week you've had, whatever kind of day you've had, whatever you find yourself, mentally, spiritually, anything else, my encouragement to you is to continually look to him because this isn't enough. It is not enough to be here an hour, an hour and a half, a Sunday and somehow think that will spiritually sustain us throughout a week. It is not enough. Might we take Jesus so, so seriously? We have to work hard to ensure that he is our first love. We have to work hard. Do you know, if I could sum up this passage in anything, it would simply be Jesus made it all and Jesus paid it all. He made all things and he paid the price for that creation that committed itself to sin. This is wonderful, exciting news. This might be new news to you, but even those most exciting of things can become routine. Let us endeavor that the Lord Jesus may never, ever just become part of our routine. So in the joys and the pain and the mundane, whatever life looks like for you just now, 
would we commit whatever you are to seeing, knowing, reading and savoring of the beauty of the Lord Jesus. One of the reasons I'm convinced that this table is so important week by week is because it makes us focus. It brings our attention as a body, as his people, to this point. It makes us remember, and that is so vitally, vitally important. There is but one name by which creation may be saved, and his name is Jesus. Might we, friends, be Jesus-loving, spirit-filled, Bible-reading, praying people that day by day are captured by what the Lord Jesus did for us. Let's pray. Father, that you would give your son for us that you would reconcile a broken creation, your beautiful creation that we destroyed, that you would care so much, that you would love so much, that you would send your only begotten son in our place. Father, help us to know the joy of the gospel with every ounce of our being. Help us, Lord, to focus in the times when it is hardest to do so. Help us, Lord, to put your son first in all things. That everything we do, everything we say, everything we think might flow from our genuine love and joy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.